Ladies and gentlemen, this is Mark Twight, and uh, I'm here. To, we're introducing uh, today the third episode of the Dissect Podcast, and we restricted ourselves to a particular topic today, or at least we thought we did, um, in this conversation that happened between myself and Paul and Michael. And the idea was to, to discuss something about competition and testing, and that's not necessarily specific to the gym, although we did address that. We addressed it uh, in sort of the work environment and in the, the, from the point of view of a um, uh, firefighter. Uh, we also talked a little bit about testing and being pushed past one's uh, limit in the mountains. And uh, I think that about covers everything that we looked at. Yeah, the, I, I'm, I'm glad we finally touched on a fitness subject, although you know how they come out and and what's useful to it i hope is is applicable to a bunch of different people but what was uh one thing that i probably have to correct is that i said 270 something bike races and i got jumbled because i meant 170 to 200 but then the wrong number came out so that might seem inflated because it was a jumble of the words um so i did want to correct that (laughs) before before it caught it it listening to the episode and just wanted to clarify some of those points like damn i've done a lot of bike races there's way too many bike races i've done way more talking than bike racing and i think we should listen to it now perfect we've wanted to talk about this for a while because um competition shapes human beings like testing shapes human beings whether it's a a medical test or a, you know you're facing some kind of adversity that test usually shapes how you act in the future and the in artificially con, uh, constructed tests are just as useful if they're used properly i think so i think it's useful to talk about because i i find myself still using them as like a i don't know who i am i need to figure this out mm. and i'll just use like a competition here and there to make sure i still have resolve when it comes so, to so is it competition or is it performance? Well, uh, performance is what happens at a competition. Yeah, right? but performance can happen with a competition. It can. So uh, a competition, uh, a competition dictates the barriers in which a performance happens, and this is where it gets different. Because, and this is where people illogically address their abilities. At one time in the gym, I have lifted X, mm-hmm. and therefore X is my ability. But have they lifted X in the constraints of a dictated time and, and period? And that, that's what competition is to me. Is like yeah. it, it it takes away your ability to um, game it, manipulate and or game, game, or just yeah, or yeah, do it on the day when you're when the conditions are the absolute best, right? You know, which which doesn't speak of honesty, which is a which okay. So competition elicits an honest ability. I think. So how does that correlate into the movie world? Because there was a movie thing that went down, mm-hmm. and there was a you know there there have been articles, but and there's a de- performance was required on a day, whether it was an aesthetic or whatever it might be. I'm, I'll let I'll digress. Wait, what, was, for what, this one. What, what was the question? <laughs> like, wait, wait, hi, my name's how Michael. Does, what did how you say? No, I mean that, that's like I, I think the one of the hardest things about like. Getting somebody ready for a role is just like, well, it's happening on this day, yeah. and you're Some either and you're ready for it or not. And it's and that day is pretty well scheduled. And sometimes it does, sometimes it'll change. Um, and I mean, sometimes they'll, you know, will it will come sooner than you want. But typically, <laughs> if if there's a change, it'll get it's something that it gets pushed. Yeah. Um, and, and it, I, I don't know. It seems like okay. This is the this is how it should be. Yeah. Like okay, you, no, you have to have it on th- th- this day, and there's actually 
a lot riding on this. Mm-hmm. And so you should probably not fuck up. <laughs> and then to, to one degree or another, yeah, there's some latitude um, along the way. It's like, ah, we kind of missed, you know. Um, there was a particular job that uh, I was, I don't know, three weeks late. Uh, getting you know for the guy to be ready, but the scene got shot on the day anyway. It didn't matter, mm-hmm. and then it had to go in and get you know some then other money. They'd already spent a bunch of money on me, and the t- you know and all the preparation and stuff. And since we missed the date, um, they had to go in and spend some more money to mm-hmm. you know account for. And, d- and did that? I mean, probably going to answer the question, but did that roll back on you? Was that a you thing, or was that the that's a guy thing? That, that was that was a particular that was an individual thing. Not me. But were you but, held accountable for that, or was that? I mean, I know. That, I mean, you. It, it could be like in, in in some situation. That particular situation, no. It was uh, the, the individual in question is um, g- given some latitude based on you know everyone's prior experience. Yep. Food um, chain. And, yeah, and, and also and a little bit of food chain action. But if somebody's new and, and they and they um, and they. Ha- they had all the, the the raw material was there and everything was there and then I mean it, it it if in that situation I had fucked up and I gotten the person there then it could come back on me mm-hmm. but that's never happened so I don't know that also is a really interesting topic because I think that <clears throat> highlights um, what being a coach is yeah is is yeah. Ultimately, you're responsible for the failure, and you're not responsible for the success. Yeah. Or you're, you're not a direct... Uh, you might have helped. In fact, you did. Yeah. You supported, but support but is it wasn't the main you. thing. But when it yeah. goes bad, you are directly responsible for not guiding it correctly. Yeah. yeah. In you most carry, cases. You, you, you carry all the weight until it's yeah. successful, and then they take it from you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, here, no. Let us carry that. Sure. <laughs> and, and if you don't... If it's not them, someone else takes it from you. Yeah. I was the guy. I did the thing. Oh, oh! You mean somebody suggesting that they did the actual work <laughs> when they weren't even present? <laughs> that's funny. I've, I've heard that's it, happened uh, once or twice. It's, maybe it defies the laws of science. I, 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 I actually, uh, Ross, I don't think it's still in the single digits. Oh, I think it's happened more than nine times. Call it omnipresence. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was everywhere all the time doing everything. Maybe you guys yeah, can help exactly. me. I, one of the things that I struggle with is like understanding the the concept of like artificial testing versus like real world testing. Because for me, everything nothing happens in a vacuum, which we've definitely um, expanded on in the past. And even though it's it's a there's a test or a competition and it's under some sort of constraints, it's definitely real. Like we benefit from every competition, whether it's something as small as something in the gym or something. And maybe it is just related to the level of risk that's involved and and the impact that has on you. Consequence. The consequence. That, that's probably a better term. Um, is it when, when you guys talk about like artificial testing versus real world testing or testing in an artificial environment versus real world, what is that line for you guys? What does it kind of look like? Well, for me, yeah. like personal, like I'll, I'll, I'll throw myself under the bridge right here. <laughs> so testing alludes to what I might be able to do on the day within barriers. So I, I try to, put these tests on myself 
So yeah. artificial test. Artificial yeah. test. In which case, what I'm trying to elicit is my best performance possible. So I'm waiting for a day that I feel good, I'm into it, and I'm motivated in order to extract um, confidence. Like I, I'm looking for reassurance that I can do this task at a certain level. So for an example, um, it came up that there's not very many people that have done a thousand calories in less than an hour on the assault bike. So yeah. in my head I go, that's something that I I'm can, built for. Yeah. So I start playing with it and it, it starts as an artificial test. It starts as when I warm up, I see, first of all, the test is how am I going to warm up for this thing? If I am going to test the second part goes, you know, building confidence along the way. Like, can I do 20 minute segments? Then it comes, okay, I feel good. I'm going to try the test. And at any point that I think I'm going to fail the test, I actually back out of it. So the other day I tried it, wasn't feeling too great. You back out before you even finish or do you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I quit 100% (laughs) fucking quit because, and, and this is, this acknowledges two points. Two, I want to know that it's okay to quit as yeah. opposed to grinding something out that would further, like it would just be punishment into like, I'm not going to make the thing. Yeah. Right. And, so, and there's no, uh, performance benefit, right. eventual performance benefit from it. In fact, yeah. they're, they're, it's the opposite. It's, there's yeah, you're just harmful. Digging a hole. Yeah. So, um, some people look at, if you're still trying to prove that you're not a quitter, this is not the road for you. Yeah. If you have established over the past decade that you, in fact, not only don't quit, but you go way too far more often than not, then you can take this style and it'll be useful. So in the context of like this thousand calories for time, I started out, started hitting the numbers way above the numbers, and then something was wrong. So even though I was on track at 20 minutes, I pulled the plug, not because I didn't think I could do it because not only did I want to beat the test, I wanted to blow the test out of the water. And that wasn't the day to blow the test out of the water. So now it's in the back of my head. Okay. I can be on task, but it's not going to be like now I'm, now I'm dealing with the confidence to have a performance that is better than my own expectation. And that's where I have to like, okay, it's artificially constructed and it can happen on the day that I best perform. If I, you know, uh, contrast that with preparing for an event that I don't control. So uh, recently it was in France doing a CrossFit style competition. I don't control any of those events. They announce them on the day. So I can't even prepare for them, but I know kind of within uh, parameters what what the movements are going to be and what the time domains are. are and and historically, there's, yeah. Yeah. There's only so yeah. many there's options, some precedent so. and there's not that many options. So. But on the day, there's no such thing as quitting during a competition. I can't pull the pin because my result. So even if I don't feel so great, if I like, man, mm-hmm. something's wrong, that goes out of the head immediately and it goes to what's the best I can do at my worst. So testing for me hits kind of three notions. Uh, what I can do at my best, what I can do at my best when circumstances are at their worst, and what I can do at my worst when circumstances are also at the worst. And that last one is what I identify as competition. Even despite, like, if you program for a competition, you see this thing coming and you're prepared for it, Mm -hmm. you still classify that as a... Yeah, I mean, because every like nothing, no matter how well you plan, no matter how good you are at programming or knowing yourself, I have never to this day ever seen like a program line up with a perfect peak and perfect performance. I know it's happened. Yeah. I just have never experienced it. So in my head, I prepare for the worst. You hope for the best, but you prepare for the worst. So mm-hmm. 
it, uh, it, like this this competition in France, like four weeks before, it was a, a, a torn quad on my left leg, That's so right. I couldn't squat right. for four weeks. Therefore, um, the last thing I think about is not doing it. I just try to go to levels below, which honestly becomes a natural taper for me. If I'm injured, I can't overdo it, which sounds like a really shitty strategy. But for me, it gave me four weeks to taper into, or I, I work on things that I you know, need to work on that I don't normally. And so it acts as a balance. And on the day, okay, I'm not optimally built to do this thing that I've ignored for a while, but because I've tried to heal it the best that I can and I've worked on other things, I also don't have expectations. So that lack of expectations leads to real performance, which is what am I capable of? And that was interesting too. In one of the conversations we had was just that. And you talked about how more often than not, you go in these competitions injured. And I was in, when I heard you and you just alluded to it too, I'm like, I wonder if this is like a subconscious thing where he is actually holding back just so there that he's not, he doesn't have those expectations for himself. So there's a little less quote unquote, like anxiety for the test. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Now there's not like if you go in healthy and at your best and you fail, that feels terrible inside. Yeah. Like you're, you're battling something that is And so you make excuses. You're like, this happened. You blame things. But if you go in suboptimal, you go in with any kind of injury, you're always like, well, I'm going to do the best that I can. And, and that's the attitude that I, I, I don't like being thought of as a threat. Like I yeah. always like coming from the bottom and, and my appearance is that way too, especially in CrossFit. Like I'm not the one taking off my fucking shirt and being all jacked and like, you know, roaring at fucking lifting weights. But I'm, that's cause you're not uh, five, six. <laughs> I'm not five, six. And I have, you know, like a negative nine, eight index or whatever. <laughs> ends up being so good. <laughs> yeah. You're just like T-Rex arms. It makes snatching so much easier. But what what I do appreciate about it is that, and I know that this took a while and this is yeah. part of competing, at least for myself, is it will teach you um, a real honest perspective of how you handle pressure. Oh, yeah. That, that to me is invaluable. Like, I don't care what happens in the competition. Honestly, like, who gives a shit? If I reach a point where the test is so hard that I have to, like, introspect into, like, okay... This is me. This is how I'm dealing with it. This is how I appear. And appearances are a thing. Like, nobody wants to look bad. And that's what holds most people back from competing is they don't want to be in last place. But last place is still better than the person that didn't even step forward. Oh, and yeah. I, I know sure. I, that, like, that's a, like a positivity bullshit that you didn't expect to hear that's from a, me. That's, a, post, that's some, a poster somewhere. Yeah. It well, is. Then they, do, they use that with the CrossFit Games a lot. It's like, oh. you might be last place in the CrossFit Games, but you're like one of the top 40 fittest people in CrossFit that can out the- but I would agree in that circumstance. And I think the quote goes like, do you know how shitty you have or how good you have to be in order to suck at the CrossFit games? Like to come in last place, all the trials that you had to go through, put you in the top 40 in the world anyway. And this is like Aaron. Um, that, that was her thing, too, because she she qualified pretty high up in the elite category. She went to this competition and then she moved up a couple places, but she had some bad like turnouts, like she had some really hard workouts that she's uh, implements that she's never touched before pegboard stuff. That's just technical and all the technicality stopped her. And in her head, she's like, oh, I'm a piece of shit. <laughs> and you're like, do you fucking know how hard it is to like, she came in, I think 30th or something. I was like, 
you lost to basically games athletes. That's who you lost to regional and games athletes and girls who are, you know, far better equipped to do this stuff than somebody. She has a plus nine ape index. Like if you, (laughs) she should be swimming and running. Like that's what she's for, not lifting weights. And she held her own. And it's really hard to point to like, Hey, like look at the bigger picture, not like the top 10 finish that you wanted, but look at the, the aspect, look at all the people that didn't qualify. Cause there was 6,000 entrants into this competition to qualify. And so top 60, make it. Yeah, like, you're top ten percent anyway. Like, or you know, no, you told, yeah, one percent, yeah, yeah, one percent. Yeah. If we're talking, about, I don't math very well. Yeah. <laughs> when we're talking about performance, with you specifically, mm-hmm. has your best performance in whatever you're competing in, whether it's gym or on the bike or even back in the day in taekwondo, <laughs> taekwondo, yeah. some jujitsu and Muay Thai. Yeah. 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 All, all of that, um, was the best performance in any of those fields under a, a competition influence or was it no. just in like, an, uh, my, my best performance was artificially constructed on a bike ride in Bulgaria with okay. Mark. Um, and, and he was probably nothing artificial about that. Exactly. Mark was I'm like, that, that may be the, the I, biggest test that you like So done. something <laughs> psychological warfare, <laughs> something happened. So we did this climb in Vitosha over and over again. And it's a massive climb. Like it, it's, it's only 3000 feet, which isn't bad, but it's like right out our front door. Yeah. So the second you walk, start cycling, walk. the second you start cycling, it's uphill. And so that was our warm up. We'd go past the studio or we'd leave from the studio. And it's just this winding Bulgarian, you cross, you know, cobblestones, all this garbage. And so we had, we've done it enough times that I know what I can do up it. And I don't, between things that I had been reading, things that I had been feeling as opposed to like not liking the living situation, not like there was a lot of anger and hostility involved in the clients we were working with. And, um, every once in a while, like one of us would be like, uh, pick up the pace unacknowledged like not a, a, a ver- it's not a verbal thing it's just a man he's going faster because i'm fucking slobbering like you can <laughs> there's something that picks up the pace and you can tell okay he's on he's on his own journey yeah and most of the time you can either try to hang with it and, and you uh you benefit from using somebody else's spite and anger in an effort and you're like yeah yeah i'm gonna see if i can keep up and this one particular time i'm not the best climber like sit at 190 pounds at my yeah. lightest and I'm not really built for going uphill. And one of these days, go I don't know, a mixture of me thinking and some music and whatever, I decided to just thrash out a, an effort as long as I could possibly hold it. Just like being angry at yourself and wanting to feel something can produce some kind of results. And looking at the data that came back out of the little computer that shows like wattage, it, it was kind of like, that was my best performance. I, I think it was like 22 minutes at 390 Watts or something. And it was just a day and, and I couldn't believe what I was seeing. But when I would look at it and I would feel the pain in my legs, I could just like shake it off and keep going. Yeah. And it was just like one of these, like, yeah, it doesn't matter. Like who cares about the number? This feels good to really fucking hurt myself. And I think like I waited at the top of the hill for like a good 15 minutes. And I was like, that was the best thing that, that was the, if I could, whatever the psychology, I don't care about the numbers, but yeah, the psychology yeah, yeah. that was behind dealing with pain and then going deeper. If I could translate that to efforts that I do in competition, 
I would win everything because that was hmm. beyond ability. It was beyond what I should be able to do physiologically. And it came down to like, no, my brain was in the right area, had the right amount of spite with the right amount of energy, fuel, whatever. And I was in the right company in which to do it. Yeah. Was is there it, is this the mind is primary? <laughs> is that? No, this is, this is just, I think it, it, it's just an accidental sort of coincidence in, in some way. Cause there's, yeah, you have the right amount of <clears throat> emotional energy that to, to, to fuel things, you know, the, particular event really well that's the other thing it's yeah. like oh, okay yeah. i know i can right. oh fuck, no yeah. question I, right i, I yeah. just okay i know for this for this set of switchbacks i can go really hard here because there's a place to recover at the yeah. top then then it gets really steep and then the pavement's really shitty and then mm-hmm. and so i'm not rolling as well and so that's going to take a bunch of effort or or things where there are i mean one of the things about that i find interesting about the artificial competition is the fact that you get to rehearse things yeah, yeah that's like nice. like racing on home roads on a bike. It's mm-hmm. like, oh, we're gonna do this climb that I train on. Unfortunately, I'm also racing against everybody else who also trains on this climb. <laughs> so it, it's it's not advantageous, but it is totally different than like putting your bike on a plane and rolling up to some place. And, and I, there was a couple of years where I used, I would do that a lot. I'd like read about an, a, a race somewhere and I'm like, ah, I fucking want to go do that. And then mm-hmm. you know, pack the bike. Do the travel, figure out the food, build the bike, go for the you know the the shakeout ride, whatever, and then the next day it's fucking six o'clock in the morning, and then there you got no idea what's coming, yeah. and and those kind of things can also be, um, I mean those are I, I think those more of a psychological journey uh, into the unknown than the races or the events that are known, even though you know you can't prepare for every single possible outcome in the artificial test, even if it's known you were able to rehearse it, but um, but you do have strategies for different things that you that could potentially happen or are likely to happen. Yeah. Whereas exposure to if, if you've rehearsed, and this is a really cute, like you refer to training as rehearsal, and I think most people refer to training as the it's an it's a I don't I don't even know how to describe it, but they don't look at it like this is what I'm capable of. Instead, they bookmark their best. And then the rest is just in comparison to their best. And rehearsal says, mm-hmm. okay, today I can do this. So it goes into the file of on this day with this weather, with this food, in this kind of environment, I act like this. So when you do show up in the day, your rehearsal is actually a data log as opposed to I'm just looking at snapshots of what my f- I created this image of myself. And that if you create an image of yourself that is based off of highlights, you will be a poor competitor because there is you'll only be ready at your best and if you've rehearsed properly, you'll be ready no matter what happens. But and I think it's also um, the, the the fact that when I mean the fact of rehearsal. Why is it? What's the difference between rehearsal and then just tr- sort of training or going out for whatever? Um, it's just uh, noticing everything mm. all the time, and, and whether that's you know the ex environmental conditions or what's going on inside but you just all, i mean always noticing always recording always like and so you said like you said it's a data log in the end but it really it's just it's it's just um dialing up the sensitivity at any time to to to, to notice that uh, okay i probably need a 
slightly larger cassette for this client, or <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. You, you know, if I different gloves d- d- for the weather or a different yeah. jacket. Yeah, any, any, so you can just adapt, and that, and maybe that's something that came from from climbing in a way, is it? Because most of the time you don't know what you're going to get into, especially you're doing new routes in the mountains. You have you know, there's a, there's there are only so many variables that can happen, but. Um, but to be to to have rehearsed enough or enough of the little individual pieces, and those are and that's not individual pieces of the climb itself. Those are individual pieces of your you know one's own performance. Whether it's a physical performance, whether it's um, uh, it has to do with you know hygiene in the sense of looking after yourself in, in, on a twelve hour nonstop effort, twenty four hours nonstop, or whatever it is. But it's so it's it's feeding, it's hydration, it's it's clothing system management. I mean, it's all this foot care. I mean, it's like super benign shit that you have to sort of rehearse and know about and know how to deal with and have it be automatic so it doesn't cost you anything. And it sounds like you're checking off things that people would normally seek to blame, which is, I think, part of the rehearsal. Like, so, oh, my hands went numb. And you're like, in your head, you're like, yeah, of course, you didn't know about taking care of yourself. Or, and this happens all the time when when people take, like, they're looking for a scapegoat for their lack of performance as as opposed to the So they avoid thinking about it beforehand. Because I want to have, like, I need to have a list of excuses Mm -hmm. in case, I need to have ten excuses in my pocket in case nine get taken away. (laughs) Which, just (laughs) so I can always... (laughs) To be 100% fair, I, like, I acknowledge openly and honestly the excuses that come out to start like at any at a real competition that is like a an event of sorts um (laughs) most um i mean memorable for me is at a a triathlon i would first hear people like this is really weird but um validating their excuses yeah yeah so we're waiting in the water for to to start the swim we're wearing wetsuits it starts raining people start bitching about it being (laughs) wet i'm like you're wearing a fucking wetsuit. You're literally in the water. But they're doing no. this. So they're vocalizing. And in my head, I, I use other. They're thinking ahead because yeah. they're shitty the bike handlers. <laughs> <laughs> that could. Maybe they're just so far ahead of me. Yeah, but just, yeah. in my head, I, like I eat up excuses from other people and use that to fill in the gaps of my own weakness. So when. Uh, when people were like, you know, for a long time, when I first started being in a gym, everything you ever heard was, I hate running. I hate burpees. Uh, those things go like those things are Did universal. Any, does anyone like burpees? I do. I Why? Do. Because I other like people hate them, and yeah. if I can enjoy them just a tad better than yeah. somebody else, it means they're suffering more than I am, which means I have an advantage. If it's rain, like I love the rain. <laughs> if people can't handle rain, like I love when it's wet because you know it makes people kind of scared and yeah. they get a little bit hesitant. And I know how to handle rain, therefore I love rain. Now, not really. I would rather be in San Diego in 72 <laughs> degrees. But given the circumstances, knowing what other people are so bad at, which are handling excuses, I, I tend to fill in the gaps. But that doesn't mean I don't do it myself. In fact, like on that same race where people were bitching and I was like, pussies, like fast forward 12 minutes later and I was losing <laughs> on the swim, like 40 people were ahead of me. <laughs> well, it's because my calf was cramping. Oh, okay. I had nothing but rock star cola and gummy bears. It was, it was like, there was a, there was a host of things. And then fast forward, I'm on my bike and I'm still making excuses as to like, Oh, it's the travel down to the race. Oh, it's, is there a brake rubbing on my bike? Is there, you know, something wrong? Why am I going so slow? What is the exact question? Like this makes no sense. I'm pathetic. I need to come up with an excuse. So in my head, I'm like, oh, well, I'll just blame it on travel. Literally, like if I want to be honest about the dialogue, I was 
vocalizing how I was going to admit defeat because I had to go back to Vancouver. Me and Mark were on a job for this particular race. Uh, I had a week that I could go do this race, come back. And in my head, I was like, how am I going to explain to Mark that I lost? Oh, well, he'll understand because it's 21 hours of driving. driving, as yeah, I recall. Yeah, 21 hours to drive there. <laughs> I, like, yeah. no food. Uh, like, I thought a restaurant would be open. It wasn't. So I ate at a gas station. Like, there was all sorts of weird things in my head. Hence the rock star and gummy bears. Exactly. Yeah. So I Proper roll. Fuel. Was that intentional? You're like, oh, I've, I know what I can see. No, uh, it wasn't. If, just, I, just, if, if, if you, I just obey the speed limit right here, the restaurant will be closed and I'll Get to go to Seven Eleven and get my rock star cola. <laughs> I'm not even going to buy a Snickers bar. <laughs> I'm not going to get anything substantial. So no, gummy bears are perfect, and and rock star cola was powerful. I'll say that. Is much. it like actual rock star cola? Did yeah. they make a cola? They used to. They used to. Yeah, yeah. Matt Black uh, can. No, it's actually pretty good. Tastes good. It's kind of like I'm not a cola fan. Probably it had like 200 PTSD. grams of sugar or something, and like 900 milligrams of caffeine. It was. It's not on the market for a reason. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, the, the last lawsuit they got for someone's heart stopping. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it was, we well, went on uh, lots of well, calls with people in AFib just from... Oh, yeah, filming. palpitations. Like, <laughs> I don't know what's wrong. <laughs> I only took an Adderall and six coffees, <laughs> and like I don't know why my heart's racing. So what's the... When you roll up on a call like that, Paul, what's the treatment? You just... Punch him really hard right in the chest. Yeah, yeah you reset the system. Reset the system. <laughs> Sometimes the best way is just the, a, uh, the reset button yeah. is right under the rib cage, right? You gotta hit it really hard. Sometimes the old ways are the best ways. Yeah. Yeah. We're bringing back like punches to the chest and bloodletting. Hey, at the end, I'm a I carry certified a, barber. So, yeah, yeah. there you go. I carry a Ziploc bag full of leeches with me wherever I go. <laughs> Seems like a, a good way to go. Yeah. Um, it, on that same, on that same. So we got there. Yeah, excuses I mean, yeah, go down. Excuse, they're they're yeah. piling up in my head. I'm yeah. like, yeah, I'm going to say this. I'm going to tell my friend this. I'm going to tell Mark that. I'm not going to tell any of my clients that I lost. Like, it was significant. What was going? Because I was 40 places behind, legitimately. Yeah, coming out of the water. Coming out of the water. Yeah, on the bike, power is not where it should be. Again, like I've tested this. I know I can go harder, but for some reason today I can't. Paddling, paddling. But you never tasted with Rockstar Cola, so you've never really tasted. <laughs> yeah, never know. Yeah, not all situations were taken account. There was no, uh, there was no control group there. So, but I pull in and I see my when, friend who was grab the assault bike. I think I'm. Yeah. <laughs> I see my friend who is an equal um, time trial. So like by the second. So there, there was a phenomena that happened where Zach and I would go back and forth, and we would either be an identical time trial time, or one of us would win by a mere second. This happened over a dozen times. Like, to the T. But we train together. We have a similar style. We have a similar output, that kind of deal. So when I caught him on the bike, I was like, oh, that's weird. Like, he must have had a worse ride than I did, which is like, yeah, fuck that guy. And I was like, well, I'm just going to... I'm just going to beat him. And so I start running because I know I can't pip him at the line. So I, you know, I set up fast because I don't have a case of jelly legs like most people. So I start out fast and then it starts to occur to me at the turnaround that nobody has been the other direction. And it hits me when I look at Zach, when I'm passing him and he goes like a mouse, like you're in first place. And I was like, <laughs> oh, fuck. And it's weird how the excuses fall to the side. And I got I this. I got this, bro. And I don't even know what to say. And then, in fact, like the excuses fall out. But like so, I have no more excuses. Yeah. Like I. <laughs> and so does the pain. Like yeah. there is no signal that I have been hurting at all. And it's the easiest thing in the world to finish my 5K at a 615 pace. Which 
is so bizarre because I was struggling to hold seven minutes. Like it was just us. And I, the only reason I was because I wanted to be Zach at least like, let me beat somebody. <laughs> and then when you beat everybody, like you stand on the podium and you go, uh, I didn't learn anything from that experience. Like there was literally nothing to be learned. I was proud. Like I get to go back and tell Mark that I won the thing or I get to tell my friends or I get to post the picture with my trophy. Mm. That's great. That's instant feedback. But then if I'm honest about the situation, I think about all the excuses I was making and I was like, holy yeah, fuck. So I'm the, the thing is like something like that, that is as indelible as that was. Cause that would have been 2011. Yes. Um, when that happened is that you're learning from it now. <laughs> like it was a powerful yeah. enough experience. Whereas, okay. Some other experiences where that, that aren't that powerful and you succeed or fulfill expectations or surpass expectations. Yeah. You're not going to learn anything then or afterwards, but if it's a strong enough experience, like you've actually signed up, you've put yourself into a shitty enough starting condition by driving 21 hours, by not <laughs> eating, by the stress, by the, you know, all of those things like, that's what contributed to an experience that remains to this day that we're fucking talking about in 2017. Mm. Like that's a, mm. it, and, and I, I, you know, I'm, I'm guessing that, you know, maybe as you're hearing yourself talk about it a little bit, there's something, maybe there's something even new right now yeah. that, that came. Yeah. I mean, because when I, I wrote about it a couple months ago, just to try to like put it into story form uh, for a writing piece, um, that's kind of where, like, this is the first time I actually really thought about it. Because when you're trying to recall what you were feeling, what you were doing, and it was just like pure misery, pure misery, and then the like the alleviation of all this stuff, and it was uh, the lesson of like I didn't learn a fucking thing isn't exactly true, but um, that's because I'm a little bit um, I don't know too deep of thinking about this stuff, which, which is an interesting point about what we can learn about competition, which wait, brings wait, wait. me no way. <laughs> <laughs> I know you guys aren't going to believe this, but I tend to go a little bit too deep on my own thoughts. They don't make sense sometimes. Um, <laughs> to who? <laughs> Anybody that listens? No. Just because we, we can't keep up. That's the only no. problem. It's not intellectual. It's usually just babble, but uh, <laughs> on, on the same note of, of learning, like, so this is, we've talked about a contrived competition. Yeah. Like there's safety nets everywhere. And, and that's, it's art almost everything is artificial to that point, which brings me to, you haven't always been known as a competitive person in that sense of, I think you were vocal about competitive climbing. If I could um, sum that up a little bit in your original, <laughs> but yeah. your competitive spirit is um, to say, well known would be an understatement. In your in your this is what this is this is something that <laughs> I would consider this in un, like this is an uncontrolled competitive like if you don't make it to the top and down and live then you lost the competition and that's kind of where that? I was gonna go to I was gonna ask is there a fucking difference when when you set out on a climb like is there anything that is not a challenge or not a test because literally the stakes are so high that. If it's an actual climb, I guess it, it maybe expand on that. Like, what what would be the difference between a a test in the climbing world versus just okay. training or rehearsal? Is it just like I, I my attitude on that is somewhat specific, yeah, yeah, <laughs> based on where I came from. So yeah. this, I mean, I can, and so I will. I can only speak for myself, but I was never. Um, 
at, at some point, somebody asked me, you know, I mean, they, they were, we were having a discussion, and it was many years after I had started climbing, and, and it had been after the advent of competition, and and also when sort of indoor training, um, you know, climbing specific context, whether it was, you know, indoor rock gym or dry tooling or whatever had, had come about. And I just said that's total bullshit because, um, you know, you're just training with a wooden sword. I mean, you got to train with a train with a live blade. You got to take the guard off the saw. You have to like back yourself into a corner to get the best performance out of yourself. And that's what I always believed. And that's you know one of the reasons that I climbed without the rope all the time is because, hey, the only way you know you're gonna get the best performance out of yourself if the risk is total. Yeah. Like when you fuck up when, and. I mean, it's a couple different times it happened in the mountains. Um, one really, well, both are memorable. Um, but I had, I, you know, he, I, the problem with those kind of situations is when you get away with it over and over and over again, you start believing that you'll get away with it again. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then you start we're making last time. ridiculous. Yeah, we're the last time and the time before and the time before and the time. So I'm going to either... There, there's a great saying about that. Sorry, there, that uh, just because you make it through doesn't mean it was a success or something like that. I'll, I'll have to look it up. It's so fucking it's golden, but it's like just the lack of failure doesn't mean success. Doesn't mean success. Yeah, yeah exactly. And 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 sometimes you don't. You know, when you, as Michael alluded to, you know, when you succeed, you don't always learn, and so you you need to fail. Um, but if I've set up conditions and you know for the the way that I'm making tests for myself in the mountains, they're not really, and I'm not ever thinking about it as oh I'm going to test myself today. It's like fuck, I my feet, I'm ten feet off the ground. It's now a test. Like everything, every decision I make, every movement I make, every single thing contributes to success or failure, and the failure could be total. Um, and the, but but the, it's this one particular the, the thing that illustrated. It illustrates the intensity the most. A for me is, um, I don't know. In, uh, in 1999, when Alex Lowe got killed, he was the 40th uh, name on my list of friends and climbing partners over the years who'd been killed. And now it's, and that was the and and I, I said, okay, at 40, I'm going to stop counting. And then you know, there's an unconscious counting that's going on, and yeah. and uh, it's. It's easily double that now, um, and that to me just says, okay, this is a real thing. This is like the, 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 there is an auditor here, and that auditor is death. And you either, you know, you pass the test and you get to live, and maybe take another one or retire, <laughs> um, or you don't. And then you know, there's a fucking eulogy, and a year later, you're forgotten. Um, but the, 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 there were these. Instances where it's like, like I can rationalize just about anything at a certain point because the human psyche is is incredibly adaptable, and you can get used to all kinds of stuff. And people like I when I first started climbing, I was afraid of heights. Yeah, that's crazy. It's fucking weird, stupid. Like, <laughs> it's like you should do something else then, where you like Wait. stay on the ground or maybe like get in some water next to the ground, where you're like <laughs> under the surface. Is that what it, drew you to climbing? Though, is because it fucking fuck no, scared I, you? I had no idea. I was afraid of heights. Um, oh, okay, and it's and it started out. It was like my whole <laughs> climbing thing. I started out um, going to the 
artificial rock climbing wall at, outside of the University of Washington. It was one of the first outdoor, I think it was, maybe, yeah, it was one of the first outdoor artificial walls purpose built to, you know, practice rock climbing on. But it was, I think it was no, the tallest tower was 28 feet high. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you could, or maybe it was even less. I can't, I'm going to say 28, whatever. Um, and it's surrounded by pea gravel. And yeah, if you decked from there, you might get, you could get hurt, but you probably weren't, unless you fell off totally out of control and landed on your head without your hands in front of you, you, you know, you, you're not going to get fucked up that bad. Um, and then I went to, uh, from there, the first time that I went out with the rope, um, with some other guys, you know, we were climbing one or two pitches off the ground. So never more than like 150 feet off the ground. And then the, Shortly thereafter, I went on a route with them and you know, hike 2,000 vertical feet up from the valley and then another 1,000 feet up to the base of the route. And the wall that we were climbing was 1,000 feet high. Um, so when I could look down and it's out the mouth of the valley and I could see where the cars parked. And it's really fucking far below. <laughs> and so this route, I think, is eight or nine pitches high. So Reno Snow Creek walk out outer space, and I think, and there's this perfect bucket seat ledge. I think between the top of the sixth and the start of the seventh pitch, or um, and it, 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 it's you know fairly steep up there and already pretty high up, and it's this perfect bucket seat. Like if you sat down in it facing outwards with your butt cheeks lower than your knees, because the ledge was sort of in cut. There's no way in hell you could fall. Like, you couldn't, like, get, you know, a, a snake could bite your ass or bees could, and you wouldn't be able to, like, get out of this position and fall. And my friends were like, hey, you should, like, fucking turn around and check out the view. And I'm like, I'm not, no. <laughs> no. Ah, no, no, it's, you, no, you don't have to stand, like, hugging the wall, like, you know, <laughs> like you're going to be flung off the face of it for you like know, you just took an edible that was way too <laughs> yeah exactly where you're just like okay weigh me down with some really heavy blankets <laughs> so that i don't leave the planet um, and, and i just re- and I, I refused and finally they forced me to like to turn around and yep. look down and i just was like man i fuck you know spinning feeling like i'm gonna puke this is i'm not Clearly not who I thought I was. <laughs> well, is this you do not have a rope on. Oh no, we total. Yeah. Ro- yeah, have a rope. You do have, have a rope oh, yeah. at this point. Okay. Yeah, so it, it's it's just a height thing. Oh, just a, yeah, yeah, and just and just a height thing <laughs> at that point. And and it made me realize, like, okay, I got an issue with this. And then <laughs> fast forward five years, I'm on that same route, um, on that same ledge may or may not have been high on psychedelic drugs. Um, and, you know, my partner goes, hey, we should we should tie into the backs of our harnesses. And t- I'll give you... And you just stand on the edge of the ledge, and I'm going to tie you in to, to the anchors, and I'm going to give you some slack in the rope. Yeah. I'm not going to tell you how much. You're not going to know how much. All you got to do is just, like, lean forward. And I promise you're not going to go that far. And that seemed like a really good idea. That's like a trust fall. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's kind of like a, a, tr- like a trust fall except for the ground rush. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Some dire consequences and, to that one. And, and so the, the, the whole thing, I mean, and, and it's kind of entertaining. And, and, but, but that was this evolutionary process of, of getting comfortable with, with height and then also uh, uh, being up on that same ledge and going and where I had probably been maybe a month or so before without the rope. Mm-hmm. And... 
like, oh, I got a rope. Everything's fine. Yeah. Yeah, I don't have to pay that much. That God, it's totally safe. I can only <laughs> fall as far, the, you know, as long as the rope is. So yeah. that's like only 150 feet or whatever. Um, but that, so when I started climbing, there was, I, I ended up sort of figuring out a way to overcome that bit. But, um, this, and the mind is really elastic because in, in that way, because, okay, first I'm afraid of heights and then I'm climbing without a rope. And, and now I love looking down, you know, yeah. and, 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 um, or then even, uh, and, and certain situations in the mountains where you d- I describe them to people later and they go, you're fucking crazy. And I go, no, no, I just got used to it. Mm-hmm. And one trip with some military guys to sort of illustrate this and, um, and these are guys top of the food chain on the army side, and that the, they are known for flying around on the you know standing on the skid of a small helicopter, and you know, the helicopter goes really really fucking fast to the target, and then it kind of lands them you know on the roof, and they hop off, and but they're all but they're just hanging on to the outside of this fucking helicopter, which I would never ever in my fucking life do, <laughs> like and or you know I'm working on some action movies when I lived in Europe and shot a lot of skydiving stuff and they're like, do you ever want to jump out of a plane? I'm like, you fucking out of your minds. And so whenever I'm... Can the plane still land? Then no. Then no, yeah. (laughs) I mean, I'm in the plane with the guys, but I'm wearing a fucking climbing harness and I've got like two points of attachment as they're just like (laughs) hucking themselves out the door or going... The best is like going out the hell hole in the the floor of a Pilatus Porter. Because you can open up this hatch and like go oh, st- like straight out the bottom, which is the weirdest sweet. thing. Because you're like watching a dude, and one second he's there, and then he's just fucking gone. Yeah, what and happened to him? It, 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 <laughs> I mean, there's some people that that uh, I have a video of my friend Kylie doing a halo jump, and he fucking does a gainer out of the back of the fucking C120, yeah. or and I'm just like. Okay, all the things that are going off in my head are like, okay, it's Halo, so you're like 40,000 feet or something. You got time. Uh, oxygen. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm not worried about the ground. I'm worried about like, you're worried about passing out. Like yeah. that, that's the real worry at that level. Yeah. It's like, is oxygen okay? Did I like hold my breath weird? And he's just like, out the bed. And, and that was fun. What the fuck is wrong with you? Yeah, like, exactly. <laughs> and so, so I'm going to buy that domain name, themindiselastic.com. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> So that we can reference all these. I, I, uh, I actually already own mentalelasticity.com. So <laughs> Mentalelasticity. <laughs> no, I, I don't, but I'm about to. <laughs> I fucking mentioned it. Now i got to yeah. buy it. Yeah, Someone exactly. else will. But so I'm with these these army guys, and yeah. and, um, and the, the graduation exercise for that week, you know, we're on multi-pitch route, so we're pretty, you know, three or 400 feet off the ground. And one of the guys comes up. I, I've led the pitch, and, and the whole idea is, like, hey, you're, we're doing a – you know, simulated lead or whatever. He comes up and he has to build an anchor around the one that I've already built and everything and then get there, you know, hang because it's a hanging stance. And um, so he's going to hang off the anchors and then bring his partner up and this and that. And so he's, he gets up there and he gets the anchor set and everything. And, and then he's just holding on to the, to the slings that are, you know, equalizing all the different points um, that have been attached to the rock. And, and so I'm like, hey, man, you got to let go because you got to bring up the other guy. And, and he looks at me and 
it's like I'm not letting go. I'm like, well, this is going to be problematic that you can't, I mean, you got to thread the rope through the blade of ice and everything to get him up. You're going to need, a, like, I mean, you might be able to do it one-handed, but you're going to have to let go with at least one hand. And then, and then he's like, yeah, I don't really want to, do, you know, do this. And I keep pushing him and keep pushing him. And I start fucking slapping his hands <laughs> and like, you fucking let go. And then, and then. And and he looks at me and he goes, and he goes stop that motherfucker. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, okay, okay. And, and he said, I will kill you if you tell anyone this, but I'm afraid of heights. And I just fucking burst out laughing. Because <laughs> <laughs> of what I've been through. Like, like yeah, join the club. A, yeah, exactly. I was, yeah. I was once and now I'm not. And, but I just said, okay, you fly around in helicopters with no doors on it. <laughs> You stand on the skid holding on to like some like thing that's attached to the helicopter while this thing yeah. is pulling a couple of G's or I don't know what the fuck. And I, and, and I said, this is I said, I would never do that. And this is way tamer than that. And yeah. finally, we you know talked through it. But I just realized, like, OK, we're only it's not transferable. It's not. Trans- yeah. It, yeah. Not not everything is transferable. It can be, but it not it isn't just because we want it to be or just because um, it, it seems like it should be. But what is transferable is the ability to mold fear in a, in a sense. Like from your humble beginnings as a fearful rock climber into basically one of the most accomplished, you've, you've, you probably didn't even directly do it, but what I think of the interesting point is, okay, so it's not a, it is a artificial construct in some sort, you didn't have to go climb mountains. You didn't have to go do this stuff. It's all voluntary. But the um, <clears throat> losing point of that is very apparent <laughs> and very real, and it causes certain adaptations. And I think that's what competition does, is it, it allows you to adapt. Yeah. I mean, I think you, you, you <clears throat> certainly when you get put into situations, especially when um, – because I think the, the point of competition or even – Choosing, I mean, essentially, each time I would succeed on a hard route in the mountains, and the next one it was had to be a little bit harder. Yeah. So establishing, so we're always in. in if, if you have a com, you know competitive mindset or whatever you want to call it, um, but you're always sort of overreaching or signing up for stuff that you that is slightly. It's not competition if it's not slightly out of reach. Mm. Like if you if you're absolutely certain that you're that you that you can you can do it or that you can win or whatever, then then it's not out of reach. And so it's, there's no pushing um, that there, you're you're never obliged to overcome what you have you know previously accepted as your limitations. And I think that's the value of competition or the value of in the mountains of like trying harder and harder stuff or trying. I mean, especially trying new stuff that no that. That was sort of at the cutting edge of certain things. Like you didn't really know how to do it in a way, and and so had to practice a lot and get good at um, failing upwards is what (laughs) (laughs) we would call it. Because failing downwards is it it doesn't go well in the mountains. It it usually doesn't go down. I mean, you can. I I mean, at some point you need to voluntarily retreat, um, and that makes the most sense. But to f- fail upwards generally means that you have gone past a point of no return. And even though you're fucking up, you have to go up because there is no going down. Mm. But, the, mm. but, but for, com- you know, so trying these things that are slightly out of reach is what, you know, allows us to develop or, or signing up for competition where people are going to show up that are going to like in the, in the bike racing context or ski mountaineering, um, people are going to show up that are going to be better than we are. And, 
force us to perform at a higher level than we could voluntarily extract from ourselves. And that, to me, was always the value of competition. Yeah, there's the testing thing. And yeah, I'm fucking dig it when I'm better than people. Like, <laughs> who doesn't? It, it, who doesn't? Yeah, who doesn't? It's, it's apparently a well-known mm. thing about... Yeah. Something anyway, that's not um, stated often too, because it makes you a certain personality type. But oh, every yeah. single person enjoys when they can like move one ring up the ladder. Yeah, or like Josh Brockbank was infamous for saying at a seminar once when we were talking about bike racing. He's like, "Yeah, we went into the sprint, and I looked at that guy and said, i 'I'm going to crush your dreams.'" And I was like, "Josh, dude, you used to be such a nice guy, <laughs> so mellow, man, so into the." I don't know. I, I probably I, I don't give myself enough credit for coming up with this and maybe have read it, but one of my favorite sayings is is that my best dream is to be your worst nightmare. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, you checked that box for me. Yeah. <laughs> Nailed it. Well, it's funny. It's like you know you're talking. It's like not even close to the world that you guys come from, but you know the, the whole artificial testing i literally felt like every morning when i stepped through the, gym, the door at jim jones oh, like, yeah. and maybe that's because my mentality i, I kind of think everything's a test and but it was, it was real level. and you're just like and then you get through the end of it and you're like that was awful and then like two hours go by and you're like oh, that wasn't that bad yeah. you know and then like two days later you're back in your gym you're like oh no i'm going oh, to no, die it's like every race ever is like you end. I'm never fucking. I'm selling my bike. I'm never doing this again. And then about halfway through the drive home, you're like, I wonder how I do on this race. Or I wonder if like this <laughs> is curiosity. Remember kills. a couple of years ago there was that row for Robbie Quintella. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know it was like it was a ten k row, yeah, and yeah. I'm like I've never like rode more than two k. <laughs> and you know like the, the peers are all doing it, and you're like oh I've got to do oh, it. Man. If I don't, then I'm going to be the piece of shit who didn't really care about. So I'm in the office. It's one afternoon, and I'm like sitting there, and it's like two o'clock, and I'm like, I'm just going to go to the gym. Like I'm just going to do this. Like no, cold. That's so like, and it was down. I went to Twenty Four Hour Fitness in Sugar House. Now they are not known for the rowing machines. I was going to say rowing machine maintenance, maybe not so much. The chain not, is like in one position. Not you primary. Pull it. The chain is not primary. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't move. It's just seized it's, in an arc. Oh, like you've no idea. I broke one of them. I have First an idea. Year. I used to work at Twenty Four Hour Fitness. Oh, okay then. So it's your fault. Cool. It's possible. Um, but I remember getting on that roar and like what to Michael's point. I've no clue. Like I don't know how long it's going to take me. I just know that like it's ten k. So yeah. when I get to zero, I'm done. Um, and I've looked at all these times, and I'm like, oh man, like I just an hour or so is that like enough time to get it done? And I probably I, I hit I think about four and a half thousand meters in. <laughs> and and I start to be like, ah, really shitty chain. Like, just this is just it's not going smoothly. Like the sh- the seats shaking. This you know, is not I, optimal for my ten k experience. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then you start going, and you're just like, oh no, this is like bad. And then like you get about like two, two and a half thousand to go, and I'm like, oh, this is a number like that I'm kind of getting now I familiar can, yeah. with. Yeah. And it's not like I'm emptying the tank because I'm just like yeah. <laughs> muscling my way through it. And I get to the end, and it was, I think I did it in like 44 minutes, something. Yeah. Again, That's, I've got no, co- yeah, yeah. no context, though. So I'm like, oh, man, that was horrible. That was so bad. 
I go away and like I speaking to some friends, and one of my friends who's a roar, he's just like, I've never done that. I might do that tonight. He get forty seven minutes, <laughs> and I'm just but and then, but so that, that domino of like naivety sometimes. Well, because there's yeah. guys like oh, the, yeah. there's guys that are knocking out in thirty something. Like people yeah. posting yeah. their times, I'm like, oh, not even close. But the ego is up. I wasn't that bad. I could yeah. do that again, yeah. Yeah. but I couldn't. I I the rewrote I rewrote yeah. it a month and a half or two months later and was slower because now you have you have lingering that standard. Well, the thing is, like, because now I'm trying to like rather than just like going for it, I don't know how to like figure out like now you're like my yeah like, like strokes pacing, per minute like what's my stro- pace yeah. rather than just being like Real. I'm gonna go really really like Gotta as hard as I can all sorted out. <laughs> Give me Camelback. I need Camelback. <laughs> yeah, but and then you're like no, and then I can ease off again. because what I was doing is I was going as hard as I could and then I was like slowing down mm. to try and like catch Not breath tight. and then yeah. go again. <laughs> And I'm like, well, maybe I'll just nice if I keep strategy. a consistent stroke rate or something. And it was There's horrible. a tortoise hair allegory. That <laughs> <I think> uh, <laughs> it, but it's but it was funny because because I went full, through the full cycle that you described, mm. which is. Yeah. Oh, like yeah, there's all these problems. So like, whatever time I get, I can say I would I could have gone faster if I'd been on like a well maintained machine sure. or. Yeah. Or something like that to the eagle that or comes after. Special rowing singlet on. <laughs> what are those? It was a salvation like? T-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think that's true regardless of level. Oh yeah. Well, so even from like the basic novice, like beginner level, right the way through to highly competitive races, towing the line is like fundamentally useful to any human being on the earth. It, it has nothing to do with whether you're describe yourself as an athlete or, you know, you don't compete anymore because you only did in college or whatever the thing is competition it, it, for me just addresses fears. Like it, it's a way yeah. to manage fear. It's fear management for me because I mean, I don't know if you remember being petrified about bike racing, I was fucking terrified. Wait, I still am. You, I was going to say, you got, you got over it. Well, <laughs> to a point, yeah, you do. Like, I think if I can it up, I've had 270 bike races or something like that. So something no. changes in there, right? There's, there's a shift in there where you're fearing different things. Yeah. But it's still fear management. So instead of fearing like you start, like when you first start competing, you fear looking bad. Your image is number one. I do not want to be a loser. I don't want to be the DNF. I don't want to be the last one over the line. Yeah. That's uh, but, what but the really funny thing is, like once you're off the back, yeah. no one's no one no, gives you, a shit. Well well they didn't no, the funny thing is they didn't give a shit before, but <laughs> but once you're off the back, no one sees you being bad. Because <laughs> you're on your own trying to get back to the fucking car. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just one more half lap. Head down right of between the legs. Yeah. Okay. And then the fear, I like once you get to a certain level, we'll use bike racing as the example because that's a pretty easy one is like okay now i'm over the fear of not looking bad i've looked bad so many times that doesn't matter anymore i've pedaled to my bike or my car by myself so many times that it's ridiculous (laughs) now that i've been able to keep up i fear the pain that's involved yeah so now i'm confronting yeah yeah, this like quit mentality and i don't want to like I fear what it's going to feel like legitimately, especially yeah. if you've ever been in a break or you've been in like the last effort or God forbid you're on your own off the front trying to win. That is the most painful circumstance you could ever, 
you could ever feel. And any competition has uh, something that's uh, orthogonal to that. And then after you get over that, you compete enough with that, and maybe you even win because you've put forth the effort and you've done enough pain, you come back to fearing what you look like. It's back to now I now have to win. Now there's an expectation yeah. that, I, that I'm, I have won, therefore I'm expected to win again. And again but you step out of it and you're like, no one gives a shit. No. They're just like, oh, that asshole's here? I'm going to kick his ass. Yeah. You know, or Perception is so important in, in, in fear management and, and like putting things in line. So the usefulness now, it's really interesting because Aaron's a really good competitor. Like you put a, any competition and put something on the line, i.e. another female that lifts heavy, and you're like, hey, look what she's lifting. And like the teeth come out and you're like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, hey, what was that? Yeah. Well, it's like she's still going through the evolution of learning how to compete in a, in a dictated like fa- in a organized fashion, like an event fashion. Cause she's used to doing it in the gym when she feels good and she can shut it down when she feels bad. Um, so she shows up on the day and it's really interesting to watch her manage her own psychology. Cause it's a different level at wit- what, like I will manage my own. Cause we're both fearing, we're just fearing different things. Mm-hmm. Um, she's still on a very much like fearing the perception of not being what people expect her to be. And I'm fearing, again, I'm back to fearing the pain and fearing a little bit of perception as well. Like, oh, I sit in this position. I talk about fitness. My job has to do with this. If I don't perform, fuck. Like, that looks a certain way. That's a little bit of the fear. And then the other fear is like, man, this is going to hurt really fucking bad. But something overrides that, and that's my hatred for my competitors, which, like, that's how I've learned to manage it. It's basically... I show up, man, I'm really scared. Man, those guys look really strong. Oh, they're doing... And then the second something goes off, like a gun, and that's like the start of the race, it goes, fuck those guys, I'm going to eat their souls. And yeah. I don't know how I developed Can, that. We should quote that. <laughs> Maybe that's the t-shirt. <laughs> I, immediately, I immediately want that person to have the worst... Ex- I want them to do well, because I want to compare myself against the best possible scenario, but I also want them to feel worse than me. I want them to feel certain pain and I want to feel that, but I want to override it. So it's a weird Mm. balance of fear management and hating another human being to the point where I want them to be beneath me. That's where like it becomes a really every competition. Every, it doesn't (laughs) matter. I just hate everyone. I, it, I could be in the gym and like until, and, and, Paul says something and I'm like, fuck that guy. Like, yes. well, I just mean that, that handstand thing that you were trying, trying to do the other feet, day. Feats of strength. Yeah. Cold. Here, do a press oh, yeah. to handstand, Michael. <laughs> fuck you, Paul. Like, I, yes. I'm not going to say no, Perfect. but I definitely want to warm up so I don't tear my fucking, get a slap tear again. Yeah, that, was a, that was a sweet warm up you did too. <laughs> like, I don't know. It looked like cheerleading. Yeah, a couple of jumping jacks. Yeah. 15 seconds of, yeah. What's funny is you almost had me want to try it. Yeah. I, right? It's a pissing contest. Uh, and this is I what competition piss. should lead to. Yeah. That question of, yeah. I kind of want to try that. Yeah, right. And that's like, if you've competed before, that's the question that comes up over. It doesn't matter what the event is. I still ultimately just want to feel what's going on. Like, uh, I haven't raced bikes for a while. And the second my friend finagled me into a bike race last summer... I was like, no, I want to feel that. Like, it's just over. It's just yeah. one. Okay, I know I'm not like, it's not optimal for me to fucking race bikes after not being on one for three years, but I still want to feel that feeling. And I want to feel the fear. I want to feel like trembling and not knowing whether I can even keep up with these guys. Yeah. And the same thing's true of a CrossFit competition. Like, man, there's so, like, I think that people are so much better than me at literally everything. And I'll 
That's how I train. I train to the point where I'm like, people are stronger. They'll always be stronger. I'll never be strong enough. They're faster. They're like, they can move quicker. They're better at like feeling pain. I just hope there's an event longer than 11 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) And I thrive off of that. Yeah. Motherfucker. If we get to that 20 minute event, I'm going to look at you and flip you off in the middle. You're going to eat their souls. Eating souls in the middle. I'm I'm going to, I'm going to get my soul back from you that you had just eaten nine times (laughs) before this event. If you you were like me and you had some ginger in you, it'd be like a daily occurrence. (laughs) (laughs) You have to eat them because you don't have your. That's the t-shirt quote. (laughs) Eating souls like a ginger. (laughs) (laughs) When the, when the competition is over, does that hatred to the competition? Oh, Oh, it's done. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, there's no animosity. There's no like, no one will ever see that side of it. Like my competitors will never know that I want them to die like that. That's because before and after it's camaraderie. I like, I eventually want these people to like, my name's Michael. I'm rotten on the inside. Yeah. Like I want them to help me be better. Therefore I want to be friendly and I want to be open and that's, and you can't hate them because they are your peers. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, ultimately like you can't, you can't truthfully in the the moment. Yeah. Yeah. I want, I I want to win. I want you to lose. No, I want you to lose more than I want to win. <laughs> Sometimes, like that's a that's a. Ultimately, yeah. though, I appreciate good performance, and if someone can overcome better than I can overcome, that's somebody I want to be friends with, and so mm-hmm. that the hatred will subside to acknowledging that that person can make me better. As in, so you know, back to the French competition that just happened two months ago. Bad circumstances going in, no expectations. First after the first day, the first four events, first. Uh, for the first three events of the second day and then tied for first, because I had some slip-ups in the last one, tied for first into the last event and it was a toss-up in the air about who would win. And I knew, so my competitor's right next to me, the guy who's tied for first. I was, just, it, was he French? Uh, no, he's Spanish. Mm. He's from Spain. Um, and, and nice guy. We talked before and after the whole like competition. Um, but there was a moment when it kicked off and it was a uh, you know, 20 calorie buy-in on the assault bike when I think I whispered to myself, it could have been out loud that I'm going to fucking hurt myself today because that guy isn't willing to do it. Yeah. And it like came out verbally and sure as shit, I got off of the air diner and I couldn't even fucking walk. There was so like, I built up all this animosity and that was that's Unuse- a Matt Fraser thing. Like that's unuseful thing. energy, though. Like, He's like, I'm just going. This is going to hurt. I'm yeah, going to make gonna, it hurt. That's <laughs> just how it is. And you have it like that. There's yeah. something. There's a continuity there. And I imagine Mark felt something similar, even when nobody's watching on the mound. Is like, this is going to hurt. I'm going to. No, but you can't. What and what you had just said, Ross, is like. But in the mountains, you can't go. You can never go that far. Sure. Mm. Like, and, and we had that discussion once about like mm. after you know. Bike race hypothermia. Yeah. People are like, wow, you're really, in, you're into climbing. You climb these, you went into the Himalayas. Yeah. You know, you've climbed icebergs floating off the coast of Antarctica. You must like, you love the cold. And I'm like, you can't get this cold in the mountains. <laughs> because the You'll thing die. that happens after you get this cold in the mountains is that you get, is die. Is, no, you get really warm. Oh. <laughs> and then you die. And then you die. Yeah. You get the sensation of warmth and then, um, it, it, it so, so the, it's it's more sort of like controlled dosing of effort and mm-hmm. and, and uh, not only physical but but psychological effort because like you only want to you, you never want to go so far that um that you, that you have trouble coming back yeah. or to spend something you might need later and this was the big thing for me when I first started bike racing is like I would finish races with plenty of energy left 
because the habit from doing that for 20 or 25 years in the mountains is like you always keep something in your back pocket mm-hmm. because you never fucking know. I mean, because, I mean, think the weather changes and you're on the route for a day longer than you think you are. Your partner fucking falls and breaks his ankle. And then, well, fuck, if you just like totally emptied the tank in the previous six hours and now you got to deal with this injury, uh, probably not going to work out that great. For somebody, so you always keep something in, in, for in the back. For anyone, no, no, exactly. I, and I that's mean, uh, that's interesting. Um, that is something that goes into every competition: is acknowledging what you're able to spend, and, and because yeah. it's finite, and, then, and yeah. that's a really so in the in the context of bike racing or, or CrossFit that or triathlon, even like I know exactly when it's going to end, which allows me to dial up the intensity or which is another finite, um, attribute to competition is mental states. Like you can only turn on that mental state for so long. The one that gives you hairs on the back of the neck, Mm -hmm. the one that makes you quote unquote eat souls, that thing only lasts so long. And, and I legitimately, I've never had it last longer than an hour. In my own experience, like the intensity that's involved with that, like gaze, the death gaze or whatever that that's never lasted that long. And in most cases, it's hard to hold on to for longer than a minute. I mean, what, yeah. what th- that attitude and this kind of makes has made me start thinking a little bit, especially with Paul in the room here um, is about other kinds of tests where like because climbing, I mean, I'm not really testing against anything i mean against anyone there's no i mean granted i mean i've gone to the point where i think the mountain is sentient and there are certain mountains that have let me get away with shit and others that trying to fucking kill me um, shall not pass exactly <laughs> fuck that mountain <laughs> fuck that mountain yeah no 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 the mountain's saying fuck those gods yeah, yeah. so fucking little motherfuckers um <laughs> trying to climb me Exactly. So you. I mean, we, in 1988, we showed up at Nagar Parbat on the um, in Pakistan, and I th- th- at that point, I think that 56 people had been killed on that mountain Jeez. prior to prior to us arriving. And I'm just like, I we will not be number six. And, and so there's a mountain there. It's like okay, it's I can't remember it has a stupid na- you know like nickname. The mountain doesn't like, like the, people. The mountain of death, or you know some <laughs> shit like that. And but uh, honestly, like you roll up and there's. Especially, you know, uh, in, in base camp, there's all these monuments, these fucking people who are dead, yeah. you know, and like hammered out into stone, like their names and shit like that in the year they died. And some of it's in English, some of it's in, you know, a- Asian characters, whatever. And you're just like, oh, well, we knew this coming, coming in. And, um, and, but, but there's nothing, there's no one, I mean, when I started training military guys, I realized, well, there's fucking, there's dudes actively hunting you. That's totally different. Mm. Yeah, the climbing was hard, you know, because there's but there's like five different ways a mountain can kill you, and so that's that mountain doesn't have an AK forty seven or an RPG. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> or didn't bury some shit in the road that we're yeah. going to drive over right now. But and, and 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 that got me thinking about you know competition or those tests in a little bit different way. Um, and then ultimately, I started training guys um, for jujitsu competition or for MMA, and realized like, wow, this is. This is the, the risk that goes with the test or the competition is also relatively high. I mean, you're not going to get killed, probably. Um, it, it, you know, in the cage, <laughs> although, you know, it's it's, it's, it's happened. It, yeah, yeah. It, it probably it did it. 
Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So something. Yeah. Whatever. Bad luck. But people die um, everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> See, you don't think you're it, gonna. It was just weakness, right? <laughs> yeah, you, well, you you don't think you're gonna get hit by an ice cream truck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or dragged beneath it. <laughs> but but um, anyway, and this brought up, brings me to a thing where like, okay, now you're you're training in an artificial environment for an event that is very real that okay when you when when it goes bad okay maybe you tap out maybe you get hurt but maybe you get maybe you get unconscious and so therefore it's it's it seems like okay this is a this is a very real competition that you're going to treat differently than you would a foot race or some kind of ball sport yeah for for sure one of the things that i think about is just different variables and and i see it there's there's always variables and whether it's the mountain imposing these variables or the weather or it's an opponent an actual person they bring variables to the competition as well but the, the thing it, about an opponent is that individual can react to what you are doing yeah. and ch- and change the variable that they're bringing to you whereas the mountain is never going to do that mm-hmm. it's like it's constant. I mean, yes, okay, it's more danger, less the way, danger. There's weather variables. There's yeah, yeah, but it's but, but it's not going to change pending what you what we are, are there. Doing. Yeah, yeah it's, it's just it's the fact that we're there yeah. that we realize it's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, just simply being present means that okay, yeah, the weather was bad here yesterday. We just didn't happen to be here, so therefore we didn't know. But and now now we're here. We know, but but nothing is reacting to our presence unless you know you give the mountain some spiritual. Autonomy, and that's a whole different. You, you, topic. you were in the golden days of climbing, though. I mean, you were like pre-internet, so you, you're like, "What's the weather report?" Uh, they say it's going to be all right. Yeah, barometer says. I mean, you know, you do have <laughs> you do have an altimeter and a barometer and that kind of thing to, to look at the weather. But now it's true. I mean, guys are getting fed for, forecasts. Yeah, by on uh, you know, there's a their, storm system coming in. This yeah, is what it's going to do. Yeah, or, yeah. I mean, and and, yeah. and to the extent that um, yeah, the jet stream is lowering to twenty three thousand feet today. You don't want to be you know, <laughs> uh, you know, in in that zone. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, it was highly highly accurate, and especially and 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 because you know at the top levels now that things the routes are getting climbed so fucking fast. Um, that an accurate weather forecast for a relatively short window is it's 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 super useful. Yeah. Whereas, you know, one of the um, routes we climbed in Alaska, uh, the, the, um, on the North Buttress Mount Hunter, that I, I th- let's see the first asc- first ascent, Todd Bibbler. I think they were on for fourteen days. And so you're guaranteed that you're going to get like shit weather. At least you know you you might get some good, but pretty much you start in good weather, yeah. it's not going to stay good. It's like being married. but <laughs> yeah. starts out good, guaranteed get some shit weather. Maybe it picks up again. Maybe it picks up again. You know, maybe if it's good, it's not a real marriage. Like if it's good all the time, you're like this isn't real. So it, it's mail order, and she, and they live in fear of losing their. <laughs> and they're going to take you for every. Wait, I didn't say that. Um, Half. But, but, but now with with um, you know the, the the technical ability and the fitness levels that um, exist today, you can have a relatively short forecast and still take advantage. Yeah. And so so not only to get the, the weather forecasting you know get more accurate in, in and of itself, the the communicating it to the climber you know at the far in the far away range became possible. Sat phones, internet, that kind of thing. But then like I don't need fourteen days of good weather. I need two mm. because. The technical level is so high. Wow. The fitness level is so high that it's you know all kinds of shit has changed. But 
Um, what I, I, I want to talk about, like the, the guy who's adapting to what you're, you know, to what you're doing in the ring, and like, because to me, that's that is a that's a level of competition that is that's um, uh, in a, in sort of a parallel world, yeah, almost. Well, I first off, I kind of have a tendency. I, I definitely loved that competition aspect. Um, and it's been hard for me to even get motivated to quote unquote compete in other avenues. Not that I fought at any high level, but when, when you, we talk about competition and testing, there's a, I, I kind of joke that there's a reason that it's called like ultimate, I hate the fucking word, but ultimate fighting. It's almost like the ultimate competition, mm-hmm. right? Where you take essentially two individuals and you have two men enters, one <laughs> man leaves, battle them. <laughs> we, had, we, had, we had a fucking reference to what was it? Teddy, Teddy Cruz, Terry Cruz, Terry Cruz, and yeah. American Gladiator. You, you messed it last night. It was good. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I I love that aspect, and I do almost define it as like the ultimate competition because there's the the rule set is pretty fucking yeah minimal, and it's the the bare minimum of there's there's not necessarily I mean there's definitely skill involved, mm-hmm. but there's less implements where it's like it's not skill on a bike or mm. skill with tools it's like this is my this is the tool this is what i got i'm, yeah. I'm the tool if we just look at sport in general sport is supposed to mimic uh warfare without yeah. mortality being involved so we can see who a we can define warriors or whatever the the, the better human is out of a competition without killing one another and fighting from like so we can uh we can mock up a game with a ball as opposed to you know uh, a territory and we can move that ball with a bunch of group of people and we can look at strategy and who the more the athletic people are um and then when they hit each other we get all excited yeah and we're like oh man he like nailed him he spearheaded him he fall down like that was cool and then hockey's even better because they just throw the gloves off and start fist fighting oh, we're like yes, great this is what i wanted to see <laughs> elbows or like whatever <laughs> elbow and then, <laughs> and then you go to fighting and it is like legitimately the most pure form of human competition yeah. one person against an equal match of another person therefore you're almost you're you're philosophically fighting yourself the closest proponent to yourself which is if there's a good match they fill in the holes of your weaknesses so whenever they match you know in ufc they're generally like man this guy's a good jiu-jitsu guy he's good on the ground mm-hmm. this guy has good striking ability but this guy's more athletic what they're doing is you know juxtaposing a, a battle with ourselves, but we're watching this thing play out and it is a very pure form of competition there's very few rules i mean there's obviously rule. Yeah. there has to be to some point otherwise everything just ends up being like biting somebody's groin until they tap but <laughs> Ooh, north, yeah. north south. No, yeah, that's north south. Yeah. That's a north south position. And then everybody gets their groin bit yeah. at the same time. So t- is it possible to tap at the same time? Because yeah, yeah. that's what I think would happen. <laughs> but, <laughs> but in essence, like when I, I look broke at, a tooth on his cup. <laughs> Damn it, he had one of those metal tie cups. Um, when I look at fighting and specifically MMA and. and I think even forms of it, like boxing, I think miss the point as well. Like there's almost too many rules. It becomes its own art. It becomes its own thing with its own strategy. Just like if I try to put two bike racers against each other, like, yeah, that's a, it's a different physical effort and there's 
cool things about it, but it's not fighting where the rules, you don't know where it's going to go. Mm-hmm. You don't know how it's going to end. There's so many different areas and you're, you're seeing human potential played out. And that's something that I probably will always regret is like not ever doing a full on MMA match. I mean, not really cause I don't like getting punched in the face, but for the, for the fact that I think it's a beautiful sport. I yeah. think the people involved with it suck, but I think it's, that the yeah. sport and the idea behind it are some of my favorite things to watch. For sure. I, I think one of the things that we were talking about, and it, and it gets back to the exposure. And in personally, like I've always ro- rode that line of ballsy and stupidity <laughs> and definitely fallen on both sides of that consistently. Um, and, and part of it may be just ignorance and, and just like fucking I'll just bash my head into a wall. It's like a hockey fight mentality. Uh, when growing up, I got into quite a few hockey fights and hockey fights, especially at the level I was at, once you get to the, the, the top level, even hockey, there's technique. It doesn't look like it. <laughs> yeah. But at the level I Dude, was you're at. You're fighting on ice skates. There has to be some kind oh, of like, yeah, technique. There's, there's total technique. <laughs> but at the level I was at, there wasn't. It was just, okay, motherfucker, I grab you, you grab me. We're just going to punch each other to see who's tougher. I've seen, I've seen that match in praise. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that happen, yeah, it happens in MMA too. And that's how, Are you uh, talking about the Dan Fry fight? Where just grab, yeah, Dan Fry. Dan Fry. Yeah. They're just like, yeah. you go, I go. You go, yeah. I go. Too. Oh, yeah. And, th- and that, that may be <laughs> neurology something <laughs> coming into like that's written in our DNA as yeah. well is like at the end of the day, even things like technique go out the window and it's just like, okay, even these trained fighters get into a position where it's like, Oh, they're brawling. Oh yeah. It's not, it's no longer like martial arts. No. It's, <laughs> it's if like, you, if you're on top of just... a dude and you're throwing elbows at his skull, like that, call it technique, you know, it's called ground and pound. You know, it looks more like, like a donkey Kong move. You know? <laughs> Hulk smash. Yeah, yeah, it is. I mean, it's like, yeah. It's brutal. I like the, I like your idea of you know you're facing yourself, but you're facing your weaknesses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, you're facing all the stuff that you've not prioritized, or you've like ah, you, you're playing at your strengths. I'm a striker, so I'm going to spend all my time striking because if I can strike really well, I that will nullify your jujitsu. Yeah, doesn't yeah. really happen. Like you have to get lucky once. He has to get his hands on you, and and it's interesting how this plays out psychologically because if we all like. As a competitor, and you've uh, maybe you can uh, chime in on this because you've actually fought in MMA. The idea of how we, um, our outward expression of what we are, becomes the most ridiculous fucking thing in an MMA interview before the fight, right? Like oh, it's so everybody stupid. is going to win by knockout, apparently yeah. by the first round, or like whatever. The everybody has euphemisms. And, Nobody's saying I'm just going to. I just think I'll just grind it to decision. <laughs> yeah, no one's like, like it's going to be a tough fight. I don't know which way it could go, but I'm going to do my best, and then the judges will decide. Like no one says that because part of being a better human being is also kind of even if it's fake, you're believe that you're better. And that belief gets expressed a certain way. Although the most accurate people, I think, are more honest about like the possibilities of like they could catch me, like it could go anyway. And I think the Conor McGregor fight with um, Floyd Mayweather was a really good example of that because Floyd or or not Floyd uh, McGregor is probably one of the most like overly confident people, but he generally backs it up, which makes him frightening. Mm. But in that fight, the tone was like. Yeah, yeah, I may lose the boxing match, but I will fucking kill you in any other route. Like, yeah. 
and you just like see the eyes open of Floyd Motherick because he knows that's a true thing. And he like, okay, under these rules, he's a better fighter yeah. for sure. A better boxer. He proved that. Take Hands the rules off the table. Just shift the rules. One rule is gone. Like we don't have gloves on. It might be different. You, you change any one thing. And if I'm human and I question whether I'm the better human being, uh-oh, like that's not the right fighting mentality. Is that, is that something you ever confronted when you were? Uh, well, a little bit. So I didn't fight at any high levels for sure. I, I trained a lot. And, and one of the things I wanted to touch on real quick was Mark asked that, like how you dealt with the um, competition with someone else imposing their will. Their will. Um, or, and, it, and reacting to yours. Correct. Right? And it's, it's just exposure, thing, yeah. I think. It's the same, okay. same mentality as you on the heights. Is like if I train enough with dealing with someone and they're, even though it's a, you know, artificial environment, if it's yeah. just training, you're still dealing with that energy. I, I fucking hate that term because I, every time I say energy, I feel like I'm a yogi. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I suddenly okay. started eating I'm not, hemp seeds. Yeah, I'm not talking about aura energy, but you're dealing with that. that but person. you can wait. But you can project your aura <laughs> in a fight. I've, I've heard like can, you, you can make your punch fifteen to seventeen percent more powerful yeah. with intent, right? Chi. I don't know about yeah, chi, but definitely <laughs> intent. Amber, like maybe Amber is trying to punch your teeth to the back of your head versus the <laughs> yeah. contact. That yeah. Okay. Do you, do you punch six somebody? Do you crush somebody's skull and then say Amber is the color of my energy? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Awesome. <laughs> but it's it's the same thing with heights. It's the more yeah, you're exposed yeah. to that that reaction, even okay. if it's some someone. Even else if it's is, someone unknown in the sense that you didn't have a partner. Correct, and, and you, we do the best we can. We yeah. try to find you know if we're fighting a grappler or a wrestler, we try to find wrestlers to fill to to come yeah. up with those expectations and that exposure to that yeah. energy. Um, and then as far as the uh, intent or the interviews, yeah, I fucking sucked at those because I was not that guy who was like, I'm going to knock him out in the first round. I was the guy who was like, I don't fucking know. <laughs> I'm going to come out and I'm going to fight hard and let's see how it goes. He could get lucky with yeah. some crazy tornado kid. Oh, I've seen that fucking yeah. shit work all the time. And in fact, like I <laughs> totally rebelled against all that stuff as much as I could. I, you mean I, you didn't have a pink mohawk and your name wasn't yeah. Tornado? Yeah. Paul Tornado. And I didn't even want Tornado Roberts. I didn't even want a nickname, but they forced one on me. So I was like, the uh, Grave Digger. I was like, well, that's more of a that's more of a title than that's my job description. It's not like (laughs) yeah, it literally was fight name, Um, (laughs) the Extinguisher. (laughs) (laughs) But it it is definitely interesting, and uh, like I said, I've it's been kind of hard to um, get any sort of motivation to compete. In anything else because it's just hard to replace yeah and when we talk about competition too it's different if i was wanting to pursue it as a profession because there was a time where i was and it's just fucking it's a bad profession to pursue uh because mma there's so many variables because there's not the the rule set like if if i was going to be if i was going to pursue a career in some sort of combat arts have you mm-hmm. It'd be much more beneficial if I'm a better quote unquote fighter to go something like boxing, mm-hmm. in my opinion, or judo or something with very specific mm-hmm. rules. Yes, because more yeah. often than not, or the 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 likeliness of the better fighter winning is more prevalent. Yep. Does that yeah, make sense? yeah. There's a, there's a weird um, thing that happens in MMA where you 
there is pretty much no pound for pound best because you could throw anything like a, it's a crap shoot, to, but you saw in the last UFC, it was like, you knocked out like Cody, no love knocked out like all these yeah. weird where you thought they would dominate or even just at least have the upper hand. is just like completely unraveled because you throw one thing at somebody that they're, I mean, there's so many things, there's so many gaps to cover you, in MMA. You look at the GSP yeah. best thing fight. <clears throat> He's the bigger man. You know, he's GSP's four years layoff. Yeah. Is that and, is that happened yet? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And oh. he won. He beat Bisping. Yeah, yeah. Oh. so GSP beat. Okay. Um, but if you Sorry. look, yeah, yeah. That's okay. but if you I look, was, at, I was playing one. Monopoly or something. Sure, time well spent. Did that last like nine hours? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Speaking of that, we've tried to play Monopoly with my kids a couple times. I'm like, <laughs> you got to set a like a whole someone, day. Someone throws oh, yeah. the bank. It's like risk. The game is over. Whoever first throws the bank cash. Yeah. It's an endurance sport. Is but, Monopoly? But they've yeah. re- released the new version of it. That's cards only. So you can actually play a game in like forty five minutes. Okay. Oh, okay. I think there's been like. Well, what's uh, the point of that? <laughs> like children I, have a short attention span. Right. Oh, okay. Yeah. Got the it. Point it. Endurance yeah. training at See, age seven. Like, I yeah. mean, maybe teaches you nothing about life, which is like you're going to get fucked over for a long period of time, and this you're going to get frustrated. Really looks like. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. When you can, we're we're training you to be able to take it for nine hours. <laughs> <laughs> It's a real endurance, <laughs> it's a, it's a, and, and it is a transferable I, skill. I mean, because at eight fifty nine, who knows? You might turn the tables. Yeah, you might. Mm-hmm. You might give it back for that one minute prior to going up in a mushroom cloud, or, or you might just go to jail. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> back to but, where, where you'll be maybe taking it. Well, speaking of that. filling in the gaps, yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. What were you? We were talking, we were talking about, about filling in the gaps for skill wise, which oh, are, which yeah, is yeah. why I think it's so. And, and CrossFit's very similar, as in like it's there's so many things that you need to tick off to be uh, more than average at that that means that well, it's it's like the old. There's so many hours in a day. You can't get good at everything. Therefore, I need to focus on the weak links or average out or, or be really good at the good things. Yeah. And MMA is very similar in that way, which means it's unpredictable. But I, think, but I think all the cool shit is like that. Yeah. I mean, because I'd have to say that, you know, from, from my perspective, alpine climbing required that you'd be good at a lot of different stuff. Mm. And not only is it, okay, it's, it's, it's rock climbing and it's maybe climbing at rock climbing at night and maybe it's cold and maybe shit's covered with snow. And then there's the ice. Climbing there's external there's, variables. There's, there's all kinds of external variables that you have to sort of um, be adept at managing or be, at least be familiar with. And it's, you know, it's the cold weather clothing thing. It's the looking after reading yourself. Weather, right? it's, it, it's reading weather. It's predicting like, okay, trying to predict when, okay, when, when will conditions, conditions are going to be great. When are they going to be the best that we can expect them to be? But then that means also like MMA that the variables, like, why'd you fail? <laughs> well, cause it snowed three feet. I mean, that's a good, <laughs> that's a pretty good excuse um, <laughs> or, or reason or, or, or something happens that like, it's just beyond Fuck, just yeah, just one little small small I, thing. It's like oh, I dropped and I'm just gonna fucking th- throw Steve House under the bus <laughs> um, because he was with uh, Barry Blanchard and Joe Josephson and they were trying to make the first winterous and I think the Emperor face on Mount Robson and they get up, they climb for like 13 hours or 15 hours straight the first day. They get to the like the first place that they can spend the night and it's winter and it's fucking cold and it's miserable and if you and, and if you don't have a stove. You can't melt snow. If you can't melt snow, you yeah, can't drink. 
Ah, shit. So they get there, and they're setting up the bivouac, and uh, somehow Steve um, had a hole in the top pocket of his pack, and the pump for the stove disappeared. So now you've got a stove, and you've got the white gas for it. Can't use it, and you can't fucking use it. That's even worse. It's yeah, and so and so. There's the thing too. Perfect fucking weather. You know everything. All the conditions are ideal. This, that, the other thing. One tiny piece of gear gone. That's good. Going down the next day. Yeah, Yeah. prepper. Yeah. Well, I I saw I was I saw a video, and I think it was like it was like a Maserati Cup race, and so the camera angle comes round, and like cars are flying by, cars flying by, and you see. One car, it's kind of like a hairpin. It has a wobble, like literally. It, it, he's just he slipped, and the car fishtails and oh, then yeah. grazes the barrier. What immediately follows is twelve cars piling Smash on top of each other, it. trying desperately to s- control it. And they're just like, "Shit! Like, what do we do?" Yeah. You know, and, and it was a wobble. It wasn't like he just took his hands off the wheel and like. It's just a slight correction. It was a, yeah. mm. it was an undercorrection or an overcorrection because you see, like, car one flies by, car yeah. two, par, car three, car four, and next thing you know, it's ruined. I mean, in, in the professional racing circuit, except for the first three guys. Yeah, I mean, congratulations, first, second, and third, yeah. you yeah. win. Yeah, yeah, exactly. like, you don't even need to finish the race yeah. anymore because there's no one else. Because no one else is racing anymore. You, you know, <laughs> fuck that. Kind, I mean, yeah. you've trained all season. The costs associated with it. When you've been Formula been, One, oh, whew. What is, uh, uh, per it, race, it's like ten point five million is the average cost associated with just the race. In, oh, insane geez. or some uh, like unbelievable money. So to bring that to training, how do you? I mean, you, you've all, you've all trained athletes. How do you? Are are athletes philosophical when something beyond their control happens? Are they good or? athletes? No. <laughs> if you tell me you trained them <laughs> like, no I'd have to agree with Michael if they're, if they're a good athlete at a, at, you know, at a relatively high level there's no deep thinking going on well no the, the, well, <laughs> well there's no need because yeah. they've developed that adaptability already you don't have to like address it in training or anything because they're already there and they can and and within the confines or context of their particular sport, um, they've you know if they, they've reached a pretty high level, they've seen mostly everything that's mm-hmm. gonna, you know could potentially happen. Um, it's it's the, the the thing that you can't train for in the artificial environment is for the beginner to intermediate athlete of some kind. You can't yeah. you can't you're just like what are you doing in the strength and conditioning gym? I mean, yeah. you should be out. You're like, a technique. Getting exactly getting used to the variables mm-hmm. like this. Yeah, there's an underlying thing that you can you can control the physical fitness part. Therefore, you should, but don't overemphasize it. And I think that's and and, and I think that we've seen that. A lot is, especially in the context of training athletes in the gym, specifically fighters, it's, it's like I can win every workout, therefore I want to work out more. Yeah. I can't win every technique session. I can't win, like there, there, there's no sense of progress sometimes when you're developing technical proficiency until you meet the test. But the, the bad news about a strength and conditioning situation, especially now that we have in the past 15 years injected competition into the actual training mm-hmm. like making you know the, the, the you know competition part of the fitness thing is like i can get positive feedback and win every fucking workout therefore i want to work out more mm. whereas i don't have that immediate that sense of feedback when i'm developing technical skill and it's not as satisfying i don't want to do it and then i 
you know, and then I, I spent too much time focusing on my conditioning. Well, my opponent was working on his Still. technique, and <laughs> I show up, and I'm suddenly unconscious for four fucking and, minutes. And I think on that point, because you mentioned positive feedback loops, um, the best athletes or the best people, period, that you can train don't fuel off of positive feedback. They they fuel off of negative feedback. Well, no, that's that's out. that's what happens as you become a better athlete. Right, right, right. I mean, right, that's right. like the, that's that's not something that happens at you know beginner intermediate level. Right. I mean, fu- you know, fueling off of like I I want to be criticized. I want the negative feedback yeah, yeah. because because I'm fuck, I'm, I'm I'm good. Like I'm positive. I'm know, comfortable I, with what I'm good at. Yes, and I'm comfortable with who I am. And whatever you tell me, <laughs> I, and the weakness that I might have, then I'm going to accept it because I've already seen it. Yeah. And I know that that's the only way I'm going to improve. Where when I'm a beginner or I'm an intermediate, they give me negative feedback and it just fucks me up. And so there you, is a... You, you see that more and more in MMA. I mean, these MMA stars that have been around the block, you know, 30 fights, 40 fights, when Bisping lost, yeah. it's like there were no problems in my camp. It was great. I felt 100%. Yeah. He was the better man tonight. You know, being noble and... In defeat, and he's now fighting this weekend, like three weeks after. Oh wow! Getting that. choked out, but, but he he because under, he's, he understands at a really uh, specific level what he can fix, and if there like there's also fate, like fate is involved in anything, and you he, have to acknowledge when fate is the problem and not one of your fitness or your skill. He he, he admits he got gamed into getting choked out. Yeah, he's it's like fate. I was, it was fake, 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 fake. I'm going to move and. Split second opening, and he was probably. I mean, he did the most damage. He was. I mean, George was a mess. Had to go straight to the hospital afterwards. Like that, everything changed. Wow. So I think one of the uh, really you touched on it for just a second when you said like the the beginner intermediate level, um, they tend to go. They tend to uh, mimic the highest level. Mm -hmm. So they they look like I'm you know fighting in the local MMA thing. What does Bisbing do for his training? Because he's the same size as me. Or yeah. So they go to this thing, and we kind of covered this maybe a couple of days ago. Uh, and instead of looking at mimicking what that person is doing right now, that's the champion. Looking at their are history and you, how they are you reading them. my notes over no. here from, from the other day, <laughs> which basically my, says, you've seen my eyesight, right? It's, like it's, I, yeah. Oh yeah. I can't oh, even oh. read that can. <laughs> and <laughs> but, that's actually a center, but it was like it's. it's okay. th- there, there's what that guy's doing now, mm-hmm. and that's not the same as what he did to get where he is now. So, his training. You, you as a beginner or intermediate fighter, you need to know your fucking place. Yeah, yeah. It's like you need to be doing what he did, mm-hmm. not what, what he currently not what does. He does. And that's right a now. problem in the business, in, the business world yeah, yeah, yeah. right now as well, yeah. because everybody wants to be a guru or they want to be entrepreneur. You know, yeah. an, I'm an entrepreneur. Yeah, they're on, they're an entrepreneur, Grind. and it, but Possibly. it's like I only but it, work four hours a week. <laughs> Yeah, which which is all great. I read and, that book. I want to I want to throttle that motherfucker. <laughs> like I think he did a disservice to society and human nature in general, human species ev- in general. Everyone that. misunderstood that book. Like ninety nine point nine nine percent of people read it thinking it was a shortcut rather than understanding. Find something you love to do. Some people so say the same thing about like Mein Kampf. <laughs> <laughs> but so, but people, if, little red book. G- g- guys like Gary Vaynerchuk, yeah, yeah. they, they yeah. I mean, they preach patience. Are like, stop trying to be like me. Do you yeah. know why I'm me? Because there's fourteen years of slog and grind when nobody saw it. Oh wait, just cares. just fourteen. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh, he's not done. He's he's like, yeah, yeah. I'm going to. Buy yeah. jets. Yeah. So I, I need a billion plus dollars. So on that, on that, yeah. no, because uh, 
a lot of it, like when you <clears throat> when you skip steps, when you jump to the secret training Lance Armstrong plan because you want to race your first Cat Five bike race, <laughs> you also skip. You also skip you the psychological that, development of that process. Like of, yeah. And that's why it's yeah. really important to developing an athlete even to start or a person in general is to be like, come through, like, there is no, explore everything. Like, try everything because those are all little lessons. Even if I don't dictate the lesson, go for a run and see what that feels like on, on trail or go for too long and see what that feels like to recover There's a from. reason that the apprentice journeyman master sort of progression Developed back in the day, and like I'm sorry, there's just yeah okay maybe we know more now, and you can shorten that a little bit, mm-hmm. but for the most part, it's and I would always say this about climbing is that yeah I packed ten years of experience you know ten years of climbing into five years I did more in five years than most guys do in ten I still didn't have ten years of experience mm-hmm. because it just takes that time to assimilate it yeah. takes the the, yeah. the time to to um, to understand those little all of the nuances that will trip you up, fuck you up. Well, it took me six years of winning a race to understand what the lessons of that race were. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> six years after. Six years after the point, yeah. I could disseminate and understand and then hopefully help somebody else without, you know, having to wait six years. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask one question, and this is kind of to, to everyone. When you guys felt like you were performing at your best, whatever field that was in, whether it's climbing, bike racing, or whatever the case may be, at that time, were you as, like, quote-unquote, as philosophical as you are now, or were you as analytical and detail-driven as you are currently um, in, in in whatever field you're participating in? Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I've, yeah. I've always been an overthinker, which, which is yeah, yeah. <clears throat> disabling. Like, mo- most yeah. people think, like... Oh, it'd be cool if you understood physiology. That shit gets in the way when you're trying to perform. Like when you're doing an action, the brain needs to do one thing and that's it. And if it's full of garbage, which mine is usually full of garbage, then it dissuades you or you question the process or you rewrite the process so many times that you don't have a process. So You need to let the primitive brain be a primitive brain. Yeah, for me, it's been a disability. Like I know that I will never be a good competitor or a good athlete. Like, I mean, a truly good competitor or a truly good athlete because I get in my own way. Yeah. Because I think too much. I question everything. And so for me, at my best, when I'm performing my best and training my best to perform, it's usually not in my control. It's usually somebody else dictating it or it's a natural process. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel good because I haven't overthought this process. That's for me. But I'm, I, if I'm, if, <laughs> like at the highest levels of performance in the mountains, if I'm, if I'm, if there is conscious thought, mm. I'm not performing at my highest level. Yeah. End of story. I mean, it's the same, of- same with, you know, being on the bike. I mean, I can think of a couple of the races that I've done the best in. And, you know, there were moments during those where they were long enough um, that where the conscious, I was consciously thinking because there are certain things, you know, certain types of technical aspects, technical too. aspect, or just like fucking be smart, race your bike instead of, you know, ride your bike as hard as you possibly can and then quit and then stop because you can't go any, you know, like being, you know, with five other guys in the break in the tour park city like where we 
changed, like it was six of us all at the same moment realized that uh, 85 miles into a 150-mile race, well, this is where it starts, is where we're going to, like, make this from a race yeah. of 40 into a race of six. Okay, that's a conscious thought. But then after that, everything was automatic. Once, yeah. once the, you know, we, the, we six were gone and the other 34 dudes in the field were never going to come back because there's no possible way they could catch us, then it's not, then it's, there's, 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 you have to be go, saying I have to go, go back on my on on that there because because in the mountains it was it was definitely more spiritual and less and, and, and intuitive um, and and I would say that I never got good enough at bike racing where I could be sure. as intuitive on the bike yeah. in a race as I was in the mountains mm-hmm. where I'd have or like getting a race with Joe Holmes. I mean, one of the things that he does when he's coaching is he he has his the people he's coaching follow him in a local race. Mm-hmm. Like just do what I do, watch what I do. Learn Stay, intuition. Learn, yeah. yeah, learn intuition. Because I don't, I can't tell you what I'm about to do. I just know that now is the time to do the thing. Or, or I remember um, there was a race down in Southern Utah, and I was racing independent, but I had this kind of loose affiliation with this guys from the Simply Mac team. And one of the guys, you know, were were together and we're kind of back in the field. And he goes, "Hey, we need to get up to the front because something's about to go about to happen." That's right. Yeah. And I'm just like, okay. I'm trusting you because I don't feel shit yeah. right now. Sounds, I'm just like, I'm like, I you know could, what you're talking about. Yeah, in I, my head, I'm like, I'm hungry. Yeah. <laughs> in, in my head, I'm, I'm just like, man, I can barely fucking hang on much less right now, much less get to the front. But okay. So we get up and, and we're you know, like within the top, you know, five, six positions. And suddenly three or four dudes just fucking simultaneously take off up the road. I'm like, how the fuck did you know that was going to happen? And he's like, I just felt it. And I went, okay. Yeah. Hopefully, sometime in the future, I will have done this enough that I would know that same kind of thing. Mm. In this in this context, where I would just know in the mountains when shit was going to go, go bad, or when the time was to take advantage, like it just sort of and, and that's, you know, that's, automatic and intuitive. That's the case with with martial arts and like doing judo or jujitsu, where there's there's a feel like you know. Like before your opponent does something, you're like, there's a slight shift in like your weight, like your hand positions change or in, intent. I mean, there's like an energy sensitivity, I think, yeah. at, the, at the highest level of any sport that, you know, we talk about, you know, energy and now we're yogis <laughs> and shit. But um, but I think it's there. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, it has to be. I mean, I've, in bike racing, I've experienced that done enough bike races to feel when bad areas in the pet like in your group or whatever you there's a really bad i would just call it a bad mojo yeah but there was uh the california state crit championships that happened in woodland um so a 1k course cobbled corners super short course for 120 people racing or something like that so it's like a snake chasing its tail super dangerous impossible to predict what's going to happen and in it, it look, so every every lap, there's fucking bikes breaking. You hear carbon snapping because somebody goes down on a cobbled corner. And, you know, you just try to do your best guess. But I had, like, the sensation, I'm not in the right spot. So I'm going to shift over in, like, in a second, five bikes go flying in the air in the yeah. exact position that I was at. Takes out half of the field. Like, only 30 people finish that race. And it happens so many times. It's just like, I have a sense. I need to go I'm drifting right. There's nothing logical about that. There's also nothing spiritual about it, but there's a vibration in the, in the mm-hmm. sense people are nervous. Like 
It's an animal sense what for do you sure. Mean, there's nothing spiritual about it. <laughs> I mean, because I think because I think I, I think that's I actually I think that's what it is. Well, because is I prayed you, for this you, one guy that I didn't like oh, to, oh, to go sorry. down, and he didn't it, go down. It's called the force. Sorry. I, okay. We we need. I guess we would have to define define spiritual, spiritual um, because it because it is. Sure. Yeah, we'll yeah. just say it's the force. I mean, whatever. But you. But but yeah, you know. Like, well, if, okay. if a dog if a dog can do it, like a dog can legitimately read somebody by whatever sense yeah. that's nothing spiritual it's like a really keen sense to vibrations and fear and 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 i like eye I, movement yeah but if a dog can do it that means you can't <laughs> I, I saw I mean, that a lot i don't know and, and me yeah. but, but <laughs> i saw that a lot in bars and nightclubs mm-hmm. when i was a bouncer when i was a happens. dj yeah. like you can just it's like yeah. something's about to go down nobody's throwing a fist yet nobody's even in heated conversation but there's enough posturing going on and like it Especially when when I was DJing, you'd be above the dance floor, so you would literally see this like ripple effect yeah. where people are like, "Hmm," and like uh, the people on the periphery, how, they can't see what's going down. They're yeah. just like, oh, yeah. "I should move," <laughs> you know. And next thing you know, a bottle gets thrown or something goes down. But it's a real like. There's like, there's this oh, like, yeah. Wait, like play. and a lot of you're in Glasgow, right? Oh yeah, <laughs> and maybe a lot Glasgow. of that stuff that Someone's intuition get their head kicked in tonight, or those oh, yeah. those 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 feelings would be missed if you were too caught up into the details and the minutiae and yeah. mm-hmm. the I'm just watching my wattage and my heart rate sure. or whatever the case and, may be. And then you're you one of those that. you're one of those five bikes yeah. that's in the air. Yeah, yeah, you're you're yeah. the casualty. Yeah. And that, that's a cool concept and, and it was kind of one of the things that I have in mind when I talk about testing and competition. We've been touching on it mm-hmm. and it's the, the whole absent mind and, and how if there is a competition, a lot of the things that hold us back are our expectations. And if we have a way to disassociate with those expectations, I mean, and Michael, you probably know this, um, you know, there's a Japanese term called mushin, and that's yeah. literally mm-hmm. no mind. And when you want to perform at the highest level, it's beneficial to have that disassociation. And it's especially so, if you so have to react quickly. What's the one word term then in Japanese for too many minds? Too many minds. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Because our I, friends named their gym Mushin, though. Yeah, yeah. That funny. was the first yeah. gym that I was out of, yeah. which is actually pretty interesting. I, I think on if I could sum up um, like my feelings on testing and competition... Uh, on kind of the same level that you just did is where you disassociate and that's the helpful thing. I, I think um, the practice of it, of testing and going into competition both together as like a combined practice, um, it leads to not only like the loss of self, but it helps you feel things. Things that like, okay, I love all the data in the world. I'm a data junkie. Give yeah. me a power meter. Give me like stats on something. I love numbers, all that stuff. But Competition only happens at a rate where you can't process data. You can't be in that area. So you have to learn to feel things. You have to feel the environment, feel your own thoughts, like not just thoughts, but feel your own intention and then use the, or learn to mold that in a way that's successful to whatever you're doing. So I mean, that, that's the use for it. I can feel like it's the, the, the thing that um, pushes you to break your own self-image. And the, uh, that's cool. the, the, just because, you know, you, we, we will often, you know, we'll do shit, we'll go harder in competition. I mean, a guy's pushing you in a fight, you're going to fight at a, at, a, at a higher level of intensity than you, maybe you trained at. Or I just remember being in a race with Sean Kingry and... Oh. 
uh, once and, and he was just like, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm in the break with these two guys. And I look down at my fucking computer and my heart rate is two beats per minute faster than my tested max heart rate. <laughs> and so I think I'm going to die. And so I slow down. Yeah. And so it's just like, okay, so, so, so just being in the spirit of competition got him to go at a higher level of intensity that he would normally have or had previously been at. But as soon as he saw that represented in the bike computer, he shut it down. And it's like, if the bike computer hadn't been there, then who knows? You know, he would have gone up the road with those guys. And, and then maybe looking back, you know, if he'd had a, you know, a, a Harvey monitor that logged that he couldn't actually see while it was happening, it would have been like, ah, I was like at three beats higher, you know, than my tested max heart rate for 20 minutes fucking straight. You know, trying to hang with these guys, and that there's a there's a really like big piece of uh, of competition that I that for, for me has to do with putting oneself in a situation where we are compelled either by the risk or the performance of others to overcome what we believe that we um, you know how we have limited ourselves. Is the is the four plates aside deadlift yeah. barrier? Yeah. I, I yeah. see it. I know what I can. It just it looks heavy at that point. And shuffling and, and juggling. And therefore it is. 